Well, today we're looking, uh, well, we begin looking at the series, which is a sermon on the mount that I've called a challenging lifestyles. And last week you might remember that I referred to this particular sermon as the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've got to be careful right at the beginning that we never only see Jesus as a great teacher. He's more than that. And you know that, and I know that. But there's a danger sometimes. Even as we read the Word of God, we just see it as, as the Bible. When in fact, as someone once has said, it's God's love letter to us. It's all about him. And we need to be able to see that as we read the word, but also as we um, hear over these next uh, several weeks this teaching that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, brings to us. You know, no one has ever, ever laid down a greater challenge before the world than Jesus did when he preached this sermon, which is recorded in Matthew 5 through to Seven, And his language was really plain. It was easily understood by people who listened to him. And his teaching was very simply stated. But it was profound. Profound in its meaning. Deeply spiritual and incredibly challenging. You can't read the Sermon on the Mount and not be challenged. Because Jesus zeroes in on some of the biggest issues in life and issues that we as Christians, individuals, still struggle with today. So this sermon is very relevant, very relevant for you and for me. Now what was the starting point for uh, this great sermon? It was with what we know as the Beatitudes. And let's just read that. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Now I want you to see who the teaching is primarily for, the disciples. Disciples are followers. You and I are disciples of Christ. We're followers of him. And so this is teaching for the disciples and it's all about living in this world but living in the kingdom. So blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What we've just read there shows us the values that Jesus cares about. If you ever really wanted to know what was on Jesus' heart, just have a look at that. And Jesus challenges us in this teacher to care about those same values. You are a disciple and I am a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, we need to have these values very much part of our life and of our living. And they, these values set the very course of our lives. That's what they're there for. And Jesus taught that if you follow his teaching, then we will live under God's blessing. You'll be blessed. Let me begin with a a story. One Sunday, a mum is driving home with her little girl um, from church. And the little girl just turns to her and, and says to her, Mummy, um, in kids' church this morning, our kids' leader said that, that God is really big. He's bigger than we are. And so the mum said, yes, that's, that's exactly right. And so the little girl says, well, she also said that he is bigger and he holds the world in his hand. And the mum says, yes, that's right, sweetheart. That's, that's what he is and that's what he does. He, he holds everything in his hand. And the little girl thought for a, little, uh, for a bit and then she said, and he also said that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes to live inside of us. Is that right? And so the mum says, yeah, that's exactly right. Your kid's leader was telling you the truth. It was right. So this little girl thinks for a bit. She's got a puzzled look on her face. And then she turns to her mum and asks this question. If God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? Wouldn't he show through? I want you to see that that's at the point, the very heart, the very core of this teaching of Jesus. It's God showing through. For you and I, it's God showing through us. And when I think about that, when I think about that, I kind of am drawn forward to seek to live a life that really pleases God and shows Him through me. That's always been God's purposes, hasn't it? Always been God's purpose. 
when you and I became Christians, when Christ through the Holy Spirit came to live within us, that he would so fill us, that he would so reign in our lives, that he would show through. That he would be seen by people through our attitudes and through how we conduct ourselves and through our actions. All of that, that they would see Christ in us. So why would we study this sermon over the next several weeks? Well, I think the answer is found right here through the Beatitudes. And in one word, it's blessed. God wants to bless us. You get that as you read that, don't you? God wants to bless us. There are eight Beatitudes and given the time that we've got this morning we're we're not going to be able to look at eight Beatitudes. But what I want to do is I want to look at three and that somehow that this might give us a a bit of a... We've got a loose connection here. I think um, this will give us a bit of a taste um, for all of the teaching that's through Matthew 5 to 7. Okay. So, here's what people will see as God shows through you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What they'll see is humility. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that I have no value. It doesn't mean that I need to have a low opinion of myself. And it doesn't mean that I need to put myself down. I want you to, uh, to remind you of, of this thing. Not that you need reminding, but Jesus died for you. To remind you that God so loved you that he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you are deeply loved and that you are greatly valued. You have worth. You have purpose and you have significance. God knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of us, that doesn't take a lot of counting by God. And I'm looking at three guys and one of them's me. He numbers your steps. Job says he numbers your steps. He keeps track of your sorrows, according to David. He puts your tears in a bottle and records each one of them. He wrote you into his book before you were even born. If you want the scriptures for them, I'll give them to you. Psalm 139, Psalm 56 and Job 14. You see, you are greatly valued. You are greatly loved. But it doesn't mean that we are perfect. We know, you and I know that we're not. None of us are. We've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, yet we have value. 
we are deeply loved of God. And so this morning, I want you to see that you are significant. Maybe you're here this morning and you're beating yourself up because you always seem to be failing God. Well, I want to say to you, stop beating yourself up and see yourself through the eyes of God. His perspective of you. He loves you, cares for you. He knows all about you. And you are more uh, than loved, deeply, deeply uh, significant to him. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It simply means that we have to have an attitude of humility. But what is humility? Well, humility is admitting that you don't have it all together. Humility is admitting that I really don't know all of it at all. And this is important. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Rather, it's thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself Less, And humility is admitting to God that you need his help. It's in total contrast to the pervading attitude in the world. And if you've ever read any of those How to Succeed books, you will see that the world's formula for life is found in words such as um, assert, master, claim, take, advance and climb. And these in themselves may not necessarily be wrong per se, but that's not where life begins and that's not what Jesus is, is saying to this, firstly to his disciples and then this great crowd that was um, gathering around him. Let me tell you, this is God's how to succeed in life. This is it. Whether you've got it on your smartphone, your iPod or your iPad, wherever you've got it, the Word of God is His formula for success and success in terms of living in the kingdom of God and living in this life. You see, the world doesn't understand faith such as Um, Katie and James. They don't understand that. Who in their right mind would move to Portland? (laughs) Looks like you've already got one. (laughs) Marie's going to sign up. But what I'm saying is, see, the world sees that as crazy. But we don't, or we shouldn't, We see this as God at work and the formula for living a victorious and abundant life in the kingdom of God. And this is where you find it, in his word. And you will find um, the words like this in this book. You will find attitudes and in the Beatitudes... Humility, meekness, mercy, 
righteousness, purity, peace. What a contrast. What a contrast to master and claim and take and advance and climb over people. So different. And you see, that's the teaching of Christ. We are to be different. You and me are the light of the world. We are the light. Take a moment and tell yourself that right now. I'm going to give you two seconds to tell yourself right now what you are. What are you? Yeah. You are the light. And that's not just me saying that, church. Who's telling you that this morning? It's Jesus. It's Jesus telling you that. You're not just a nobody. You are the light of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, that makes me, that draws me on to live for Jesus. Because He's called me and He's called you to be the light of the world. Now, a really good example of of humility is seen in that parable of Jesus uh, that He taught. And um, it's that parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. You remember that one, I'm sure. And how uh, it starts off that for those who were confident in their own righteousness, Jesus said, for those who are confident in their own righteousness. Whereas here he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and only a righteousness that's found through faith in Christ and by God's grace and faith and favor in our lives. And so he says, you know, a tax collector and a sinner go up to the temple to pray. You remember the story that the the Pharisee standing here with his thumbs and his braces and he's looking up to heaven and telling God how perfectly wonderful he was, how he tithed and and how he gave and, and how he followed the law to the nth degree, whereas the poor old tax collector is on his face before God and there he is crying out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God, my heart is breaking because of my sin. And Jesus says um, regarding these two men, you know, the Pharisee, he will go out and feel really good about himself, but God doesn't feel good about him. But he says, I tell you that this man, that this man, he's talking about the tax collector, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. One was accepted and the other was not. And it all came down to that that humility of being Pour in the spirit of knowing my need for Christ. And brothers and sisters, let me just say this to you, and I say it with all love. 
There's a danger as we grow in Christ and as the years pass that we lose that, that love and that, that humility and we think that we can do it all by ourselves. We lose the first thrill of following Christ. And Tony was right when he said this young couple are stepping out, but older couples need to step out. So compelled by the love of Christ. Not looking necessarily for a sea change in their life, but looking to serve Him who gave everything. And that's Paul's teaching, of course, in Corinthians. If Jesus gave it all, surely we can give it all to follow Him. I told you it's challenging. (laughs) But you know, there's something about following Christ that is such an adventure. When God shows through, people will see humility. And next, when God shines through, they'll see heartfelt repentance. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, what does Jesus mean? Well, he's definitely not talking about and referring to someone who is grieving or mourning over the death of a loved one. Rather, Jesus is speaking of people who are broken-hearted and sincerely sorrowful over the sin they have committed against God. Now, we're all familiar with King David and, and his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and how he arranged for the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and how he tried to sweep the sin under the carpet, as it were. And then you'll recall how Nathan, the prophet, goes and sticks his finger right in David's face and and says to him, you know, you have sinned. Tells him a little story first. And, uh, And then points... David's sin out to him not that it needed pointing out surely David was very much aware of what he had done and David's heart breaks breaks because he's been found out? No because he sinned against God God who, who called him his friend totally sinned against him. He had hardened his heart. He had had said, no, I, I didn't sin. You know, I'm David. I'm the great king and the great warrior. I'm David. And he hardened his heart until Nathan challenged him about his sin. And he wrote that beautiful psalm, one that we know so well, Psalm 51. And then he prayed in that opening verse, and you've got to see this man just broken before God. Have mercy upon me, O God, 
according to your unfailing love, according to your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You notice he didn't pray, oh God, according to, you know, of who I am and the relationship we once enjoyed or my own righteousness. Up until that point, did I not follow you? Did I not serve you well? No, he said, according to your, what kind of love has God God, got? Unfailing love. Unfailing love. Whatever's happening in your life right now, I want to tell you, you are completely surrounded by unfailing love. And a merciful God who hears our sin, our prayers, our confession and forgives us. It's the same with us. You know, we should never come to God with a a light ho-hum attitude regarding our sin. Like, oh God, you know, well I've done it again or I've sinned again. No, truly, we need to, you and I need to sit and we need to think about what we have done. The hurt we've caused perhaps to God and to other people. To other people, we need to make restitution. We need to go and see them and talk with them and ask for forgiveness. But, and we need to do that before we go to God according to the Word of God. We need to go to the person first. And then we can come to God and know that there's forgiveness and acceptance. Rather, when we come, we need to confess the gravity of what we've done and we should come to God with sincere sorrow. And this is, this is not me saying this. This is Jesus. This is Jesus who was saying this to us each of us, me and you this morning. The Bible in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 says this, that godly sorrow, godly sorrow or grief brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And along with that recognition, along with that recognition, um, we should come with this confidence knowing that God is faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus said that God will give what? Spiritual comfort to those who are truly sorry for their sins. God will comfort. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's no greater comfort, is there? to know that your sin and my sin have been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater comfort that we carry in our spirit than that message that you and I have been justified through the blood of Christ. That brings us great comfort and a great joy as well. So when God shows through, people will see firstly humility and secondly a sincere heartfelt repentance.
they will also see what I call strength under control. Blessed are the meek. Now, most people seem to think that meek means weak and that it describes some kind of spineless person without any backbone at all. But in the original language, meek is used for bridling a horse or taming a wild animal. The word meek is a picture of strength under control. So when we talk about a meek person, we're talking about one whose life has been brought under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit and a life that is lived under the lordship of, the, of Jesus Christ. And we sang, oh Amanda, thank you for those songs. Truly just led us into a place where we could hear these words of lifting up Christ. He is Lord. He is Lord, and that's what we sang. He is Lord. I want to tell you something. Heaven applause and the spiritual realm, the dark spiritual realm that is over this community shakes at such a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. And brothers and sisters, we need to, to be making that declaration more and more that Jesus is Lord. And I would encourage you, when you're walking your dog around Blackheath, that you keep walking and you declare that Jesus is Lord over Blackheath or Medlow Bath or Katoomba or Lithgow or Portland. He is Lord. I want to tell you, in the city... The um, Muslims walk around with their prayer beads and they walk around our streets praying to their Allah, who is a demon God, that he would have a powerful influence doing this as they walk around. And we follow them up, walking and praying that God will be Lord, that Jesus Christ will be Lord in the community. And that's what we need to be doing. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of your life. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of this church. He's Lord of this community. He is Lord over all. And we need to, uh, you know, declare that. So how do we recognize a meek person? Well, a meek person is sensitive to God's will. Sorry, guys, I don't want to embarrass you. Sensitive to God's will. Oh, that church, I say this, oh, that we who have grown up in Christ and have and have lived the years, would still walk with such meekness, would still know such meekness in our lives, sensitive to God's will, not my will, but His will, sensitive to Him, sensitive. And someone therefore would be gladly give themselves to God's plans for them. Meek people are not quickly angered or easily provoked. 
They're not proud. And they're not self-sufficient. They're not stubborn. They're not ill-tempered and they're not out of control. In fact, Jesus <coughs> was meek. <laughs> what a picture of strength under, con- uh, under control. Jesus said in Matthew 11 verse 29, Take, take, <laughs> take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus was meek, but did you notice what he did to the money changers in the temple? Was Jesus out of control? I've heard people say, oh, Jesus got angry. And, you know, and he made this whip and got stuck right into him. You know, well, Jesus, if Jesus could get angry, I can get angry. No, 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 no. Jesus was meek. Strength under control. Jesus knew exactly. He just went and got, and he just made that whip. See, there was nothing of violence or anything. He just got made the whip. His, his str- strength was under control. And so, when we think of a definition of a meek person, we might say it's someone who, by the Holy Spirit, has complete self-control. Oh, church, I wish I was there. <laughs> Oh, I wish I was there. And if you wish you were there, would you like to come up and stand with me this morning? Because <laughs> I think every one of us would be up here this morning. Oh, that I was under control, full control of the Holy Spirit. And surely that would be the cry of your heart this morning. So the question I would ask you this morning, if you give absolute reign, if you were to give absolute reign and control to God of your life, would it become any different from what it is now? If we give God absolute reign and control over our church today, if we were to stand as one man this morning and declare, God, we give you control over this church, Oh, I'm up for that. Because I know and you know that we can achieve nothing of ourselves. You and I know that we must humble ourselves before God. You and I know that we, as a congregation of people, need to repent and confess. And you and I know that as a congregation we need that meekness. We need to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. So, when God shows through people, don't you love that story of that little girl? If God is so big and lives in us, wouldn't He show through Wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? (laughs) Wouldn't he? Of course he would. Then if he was to show through, wouldn't people, wouldn't one another, wouldn't this community, wouldn't this great city of the Blue Mountains see in this church and his people, wouldn't they see humility? 
Wouldn't they see heartfelt repentance? Wouldn't they see strength under control? And wouldn't they see those who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And wouldn't they see the merciful? And wouldn't they see those who are persecuted not because they're, you know, um, proud, uppercut, something or other of Christians, but rather that they, people see righteousness in us? Let me just finish now. Fiona Gibson is a writer with the British newspaper, the Daily Mail, and she wrote this. If there ever is a moral code, it is whatever is pleasurable, then it's okay to do it. So do whatever you feel like doing. Now, you don't need me to tell you this, but out there there's a moral vacuum and it's being filled up with so much gunk. It's unbelievable. And that's why you and I shudder at the things that we see and hear. And just watching the news at the end of the, at the, end of the day is enough to tell us that there's this moral vacuum in our own nation and throughout the nations of the world. People are living to please themselves. Brothers and sisters, are that we would not, as followers of Christ, live to please ourselves. But people are living to please themselves and to satisfy their own selfish desires. But Jesus tells us this, to live for him. And to be so infused with him, so infused with him in such a way that people all around us, whether within the community here that we have or people out in that community in which we live, will see God showing through. Would see him showing through. Jesus told a group of ordinary people, and listen, where that group. I'm sorry, you are very valued and loved and you're just full of worth and everything else to God, but you're ordinary. <laughs> and Jesus spoke to a very large group of ordinary people and to a small group of disciples who were really ordinary, weren't they? And those who listened to him as he taught them in this great sermon, and we're only scratching the surface now, so hold on to your chairs for the next seven weeks, that they would have enormous influence on the world around them. And that's what they did. And that's what we're to do also. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. James, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Leeton. Mary, you're the light of the world. Luke, you're the light of the world. Rachel, you're the light of the world. Fred, you're the light of the world. Carol, 
you're the light of the world. Renee, you're the light of the world. Guido, you're the light of the world. Lucy, you're the light of the world. The Malins are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen? Father, help our light to shine. Help our light to shine out there, Lord, for all to see. Help us to be those who live and walk in all humility. Those who are truly sorrowful for our sins and yet are filled with a peace and a joy because you are loving and forgiving and because Jesus paid the price took the punishment and the penalty for each of our sins and help us to be those Lord who come under the powerful life changing influence of your dear spirit that we might know what it means to have self control in all things I pray that your blessing and grace will be upon every person who studies this uh, particular study over the next several weeks in home groups or as families, wherever they do it, Lord, would you graciously speak into each and every home? Lord, I, I want to ask you, Lord, would you change this church? Would you bring about such a renewal and such a revival in this church, Lord? Would you do that? Father, would you pour out your Spirit upon every person and fill every person here this morning? Not that we should say God is doing a great work within us, but Father, rather we would just love Jesus more and more, follow him even more closer. Lord, would you do that for us as we pray and humble ourselves to you this morning? For we ask it in his name. Amen.